Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be here tonight. Looking forward to getting into where we uh, where we left off last week, guys. And uh, we're going to be going kind of back and forth from Hebrews and Judges. We're going to open back up in the book of Hebrews again. So I'm going to read our text verse this evening here in just a moment. And then we're going to get into Judges. We're going to finish off this series uh, on Gideon. Uh, that I've titled Warrior. His name means warrior. And I like Gideon. Gideon was a fighter. And um, oh, I just had a flashback. John Dillinger. Amen. And uh, I had a good preacher friend of mine that was preaching a missions conference for me. And, uh, or at into my conference at our church in Tennessee. And, uh, and he just got tongue-tied and got caught up on telling the story that he liked to fight. And if you don't know who John Dillinger was, the old, the famous old... Uh, Mobster, John. He was, you know, was public enemy number one, hundred some years ago, I guess it was, and and this boy was named John Dillinger, and uh, and he got caught. I don't know. He just lost his train of thought in the middle of the sermon, and he said, "Man, I, I like to fight." And he said that, and he goes, "You grew up with a name like John Dillinger. You better be like. You better like to fight." He goes, "People ask me why I wear a pinstripe suit and carry a uh, what do you say, carry a pistol in my pocket." He goes, "But well, because I like to fight." He goes. Man, I don't even know what I was talking about, but I know I like to fight. <laughs> so I went back and copied the excerpt out of the out of the sermon. I got I actually got it on my phone somewhere. Um, it was I was on the platform sat, and I'm just going. I'm he's looking at me. I'm looking out. Like I don't know where you were either, man. Somebody back the back the tape up and find out. So nonetheless, Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. As we get in, we're going to close down on this uh, this uh, series, um, guys. Like I said, just a good time last night digging into this and digging into where Gideon is is and and what they've gone through the past couple of uh, um, weeks that we've looked at and and how we got him to where he is now. And, so when we get back in Hebrews chapter 11, and we look there in that latter part, verses 32 through 34, as we read for our reading here tonight, the Bible says, And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, and of David, and also of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. The famous Gideon, again, is his name means warrior. Let's bow our heads. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity and time to be here tonight. We pray that you apply to our hearts. Allow us to take this message tonight. Help us look back in the past two weeks and build on it, not only biblically and doctrinally, but practically that we may be able to apply it every single day, Father. And when we get down and we get tired in the busyness of the day and the weeks and the months all become a blur, I pray that we would look back at the steps that, that you took to take this little farming boy who was threshing wheat, uh, hiding for fear of the Midianites, and, and made him the mighty warrior. But how you did so, along with 300 men, who would defeat and be victorious in the midst of battle. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen and amen. So the famous Gideon, guys. Again, his name means warrior. And we closed last week with seeing uh, what the Lord did, how he did it, what he was 
preparing to do. And we'll touch on that just for a second here. But we see how the Lord set the number of men who would defeat the oppressors of Israel. And as those messages went out, 32,000 people came and, and were there supposedly ready to fight. They answered the call and 22,000 went home who were fearful. God said, if you're afraid, go home. So they went home. And 9,700 went home who were foolish because they cared not for the surroundings. They were not vigilant in their life. They just stuck their face down and, and only care for their own personal needs and not the needs of others. And yet there were 300 men that God now who could use. And those 300 men are marked as being faithful. Faithful. Now, is there something about faithfulness in your You know, there's people that can do great and wonderful things one time. We, we, we call it the 15 minutes of fame or, you know, you know the, uh, the one, the one off glory or whatever it may be. There, there's, there's some people that can just, man, they can hit the mark and they do it great and they're wonderful. They do it once. They do it twice. They do it for six months. They do it for a year. And I'm going to make the comment, comment tonight and I hope I'm not trying to rub, rub people wrong at all. But if it does, it does. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Guys, anybody can do anything for a short period of time. But it's going to take faithfulness to get in to be a warrior. It's going to take faithfulness to get in there and be not part of the 22,000 who are afraid, not part of the 9,700 who are foolish, but be part of the 300 who says, you know what, we're going to be here no matter what. We don't care how this thing ends up. We want to be faithful. So we've seen so far the preparation for the battle. The you know, every day is not going to be you know rainbows and, and, and unicorns. Every day is not going to be wonderful. Every day is not going to be easy. Our life, I preached this morning out of John 6, and out of John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. And when those disciples got into that ship, guys, they got into the ship without Jesus. Jesus was up in the mountain, and, and, and that's another story for another time. But they got in the ship, and as soon as they got out, about 25, 30 furlongs, the Bible says, which is about 3.7 miles, 3.75 miles roughly, uh, give or take. And a storm blew in on them, okay? And so this particular event, this thing's recorded in all four of the Gospels, and each, each, each author of the Gospels, they fill in parts to where we get the whole perspective of what happens when we see Jesus walking on the water, and then Peter gets out, and he walks, and then he sinks, and Jesus rebukes him for not having any faith, and all this and that, and they willingly received him, right? That's the whole key, willingly receiving Jesus. Christ. But I'm saying all that to make this point, guys. They were afraid, and they got into the ship, and they tried their best, working their own selves in the midst of the storms. And storms are going to come in our life. And when the storm comes in, you got a choice to make. You either fail, or you be faithful. You say, why didn't you say flourish? You're not, you're not always going to flourish. Storms are going to hit you sometimes like a ton of bricks. And you're not always going to come out, you know, with roses on the other side. You're not always going to be the trophy winner. You're not always going to have the championship ring. Sometimes you're going to be a loser, okay? That's going to happen. But you can still lose in the midst of battle. You can still lose in the midst of the storm and be faithful. That's the point that I want you to see here, guys. Nothing was a guarantee. Nothing was a guarantee. My goodness, 22,000 people down to 300, okay? And God said, this is who we're going to use. You know, Gideon could have said, you know, whoa, wait a second here now. But he didn't. You know why? He had faith, guys. He had faith. God considered these men fit for battle. They would be found, uh, they, would, they would not be found without faith. They would be found faithful. They would, be, they would be away from any type of foolishness. Now we find a battalion is set of 300 men, a regiment, if you will, 
To go to battle against an entire army, really and truly, to go to battle against an entire nation. But I want you to see something here. After God put these men through this test, after he put them through the test of courage, and that's one of the biggest keys that you need to understand, it's going to take courage. When he put them through the test of courage, and then they, they found where they needed it, he put them through the test of being cautious. Now we find these 300 faithful men are blessed, first and foremost, with confidence. With confidence. Now, when I say confidence tonight, the first thing that comes to your mind, think of a person that you think is confident. And I wonder in your heart and your mind, what makes them confident to you? Why do you see them as being confident? Is it because they walk around with their shoulders back, their head up, their head up high, and they, they, they are who they are? Is that the imagery of confidence? You know, the word confidence shows up 38 times in 38 verses in your King James Bible. And it shows up in places like this, Psalm 118 and verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. You know one thing I know and I have found out, and I know you know it true? People will fail you. People will let you down, won't they? They will fail you. If they get a chance, they will fail. So where confidence needs to be somewhere else that's not going to fail you. We find it in verses like Proverbs 25, verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man. In a time of trouble, it's like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. What, what are two things? Anybody ever had a broken tooth before? I've had one that hurt, don't they? You ever had a foot out of joint? Well, you've had a foot out of joint. That was a, <laughs> the second it left my mouth. There's wrong. Yeah, you've had it out. You know, the, what are the two similarities between a, a broken tooth and a foot out of joint? It hurts, doesn't it? Bible's telling me right now, if you put your confidence, your trust, your dependence, if your confidence is in an unfaithful man, they're going to hurt you every time. These 300 men right here who went through the test of courage, went through the test of being cautious, they went through those two tests, and they were purged. They, the people were purged. We found them to be confidence. Confidence in that verse right there, Proverbs 25, verse 19, is defined as trust and refuge. Refuge. Refuge in a time of trouble. You know, when Israel came in, when, when, when Israel, when the Hebrews came into the promised land and they crossed the river Jordan and they started running out all the, all the deadbeats and running out everybody out of there that God said that they were and they were, they were taking the land that God had given them all the way back to Abraham's covenant in Genesis chapter 12. The 300 mile, from, that covenant runs from the mouth of the Nile to the mouth of the Euphrates River. It takes a 45 degree turn up to Mount Ariat, which is another 200 miles, and 200 miles back down. It's one big huge triangle, the land grant that God has given unto Israel. That is where he's going to rule and reign from. Not the sliver of Israel that we see today. That's the land grant he'll rule and reign from for a thousand years. Now having said all that, when they started dispersing the... Uh, the inheritance to the tribes and where the cities would be built and whatnot, there were certain cities that were set aside called cities of refuge that someone could go and they could find refuge there and safety. Say someone was accused of, of manslaughter or accused of killing someone, but they wasn't found guilty to keep them safe and sound. They would go to the city of refuge and they would stay there until the relatives of that person who was harmed, they were falsely accused of, had passed on. A city of refuge, a place they could find safety Confidence, guys, in an unfaithful man. Safety, if you will, trust in an unfaithful man is going to hurt you every single time. That's the confidence that we're talking about here today. These men here are blessed with confidence. I'll tell you another place we find uh, this word confidence. We find it in Acts chapter 28 and verse 31. Uh, this is here by, by one of my, my favorite men in all the Bible outside of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says, preaching the kingdom of God 
and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. With all confidence, okay, no man forbidding him. This is Paul. Paul ends up last, uh, uh, he's, he's two years, he's his own hired house. He's a, uh, he's a prisoner in Rome. He spends the last decade of his life uh, from 8058 to 8068 um, uh, as, a, as a prisoner. But he did have some freedom when he was in Rome. And for two years, he was in what his own hired house. He was chained to a, a Roman soldier. And he preached the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, the Bible, the New Testament says he preached it with confidence. And the word there in Acts 28, the word confidence in this verse is to find this freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech. What my dad used to call plain talk or plain speech. My dad always said that plain talk is easily understood, right? Yeah. Some people get offended by plain talk. Just say what you mean, mean what you say. That's what Paul did. Paul, Paul, matter of fact, Paul even refers to his preaching sometimes as being crude. It was because it was straightforward. This is what it is. We're not going to dance around it. We're not going to make mince words. We're not going to use ten words over here. When I can use five, get the job done, and you know exactly where I stand and where you stand. That's preaching the Word of God. Word of God is simple, guys. We live in a world today where men will use 15 words where four would suffice and leaving the people confused as all get out about the gospel. You know what saves you? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ saves you. Not the 39 articles of faith that, that some high church list that you've got to go through. Your baptism doesn't save you, okay? Your confirmation doesn't save you, okay? Circumcision doesn't save you. None of those things save you. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, Paul made it very clear, two verses of defining what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. Plain speech. Preaching this thing to a bunch of Romans who were trying to kill him, mind you, who wanted him dead. Preaching it with confidence. We see the same word there in 1 John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, listen carefully, we may have confidence. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. Stop and think of that for just a second. This may be a four-week series. I just, I'm just going to take my time. We just came on the heels of talking about unreservedness, guys. On the heels of freedom of speaking, when Paul was preaching in Acts 28, when, were, when Luke was detailing Paul's preaching in Rome in his own hired house, and he was speaking freely the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was speaking with confidence, he was unreserved, he, didn't, he wasn't timid, he didn't uh, uh, you know, beat around the bush, he was straightforward the way it was. And now we come to the same word as, as the Apostle John, the mighty Apostle John in his first epistle, he says, and now little children abide in him, that's Jesus Christ, that when he, that's Jesus Christ, shall appear, we, saved born again individuals, may have confidence. We may have unreservedness. We may have freedom of speaking. We may stand on what we believe. And what's the result of that? Not being ashamed before man is coming. Closet Christians, guys, are going to be ashamed when Jesus Christ shows up. People have uh, the love of, of this world and everything in it more and beyond Jesus Christ. When He shows up, they're going to be ashamed. And what a sad state that is. These 300 men that battled with Gideon, these 300 men that God said, these are the men that's going with you, God blessed them with confidence. Blessed them with unreservedness in their life. Gave them something that I don't, I, I don't believe in all of my heart. I don't believe the other can have, the, especially the 22,000 that 
were afraid. They couldn't get it. The 9,700, they just cared about themselves. They're not going to get it. Because at the end of the day, they're going to hurt you. What they're going to do when the battle starts happening, they're going to take off and run. They're thinking of self-preservation. Jesus Christ said in John 15, His greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Solomon said in Proverbs, said, said that uh, a man who, who I have friends must show himself friendly. And then he says what? And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus Christ is going to stick next to you. And this is what, this is what God wanted to weed out. This is what God did. He goes, I'm going to give you 300 people. We're going to go down there. We're going to defeat these people. But I'm going to get the glory. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Now mind you, Gideon is being told, Go on down there now. They're, they're asleep, but you're going down there in the midst of the camp, and I, I've already given them to you. Wait, wait a second. What if the other 300? That's what I, I think I'd probably be asked, but nonetheless, he obeyed God. Verse 10. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Thura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Thura, so we know he was a bit of afraid, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. Now he knows he's got an army of 300. And these camels and horses and all of this battle array is the number of the, the, sea, the sand on the sea, man. I mean, that tells me as wide and far as he could see was nothing but camels, horses, and things that go you know, fight, the battle. They lay along like in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for the multitude. Verse 13. And when Gideon was come, listen carefully, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a hint and smote it, a tent, and smote it, that it fell, and it overturned, that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. So here's what, here's what Gideon did, guys. Gideon went down on what we call a little survey trip. God said, I want you to go down there. I'm going to give you the confidence that you need. Gideon's like, look, I trust you. I obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm trusting everything that you do. There's a little fear because that's a big army. It's just me. So I'm taking my servant with me. And God said, just go down and look around. He goes down a little survey trip. And he's finding a Midianite having a little conversation about a dream that he had. About barley bread. Did you know barley bread was the poorest, the coarsest, and the cheapest of all breads. Yet it's a loaf of barley bread that rolls into this mighty army with victory. It was a loaf of barley bread that this guy saw in his dream roll in and knock a tent over. And that other guy told him, he goes, you know what? That's Gideon. Now, Mike, think about it. Please just stop for a second and think about where we are. This is the confidence that Gideon needed. 
This is the man who's the warrior, the one that was threshing wheat for fear of the Midianites inside of a wine press. And he's trying to keep it so that they wouldn't come and steal it. This is him. And he says, wait a second, somebody knows who I am. He already told God, I'm for the poorest. My family, as a matter of fact, Manasseh is the poorest of the tribes. Within the tribe, my family's the poorest. Within my entire family, I'm not even known. I'm just, they sent me out here. Gideon said, I'm expendable. They got me out here in the middle of the night threshing wheat, man. Barley bread. Gideon is that barley bread, guys. And Judges chapter 6, verse 12, verse 15 through 16 says this. It says, And the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. What was he doing? Go back a couple of weeks when he says, Thou mighty man of valor. He was threshing wheat for fear of the Midianites in a wine press. Verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, where will, uh, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is, is, uh, in, is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites. Watch this. As one man. As one man. You're going to do it as one man. They're going to know your name. And that old boy goes down there. And here's two guys talking about a dream. And the poor, you know, it could have been any, it could have been wheat bread. <laughs> it could have been corn flour. But God made that boy have a dream about barley. The poorest, cheapest, coarse bread there was. And the old guy said, that's Gideon. That's a guy that we've heard rumors about, you know, 22,000 people. And they're down to, then they went down to about 9,700. Now they got 300. And those guys are up there rip-roaring, raging. They're ready to tear somebody a new one. That's Gideon. He said, we're about to go down. You know what Paul said? Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know what happened? The same one that Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. My life is his, his life is mine. He's given me all my, my life. That very same one is the one who called the poorest of the poor man a man of valor. I remember one time we were in a meeting. I was getting ready to preach in a church, a real quite quite a large large church, had several thousand there. And uh, this is many years ago. I'm, I mean, I was I was uh, probably just barely in my thirties, I think it was. And and uh, we were down in Central Florida, and Dr. Mickey Carter, one of my mentors and and favorite men of God, he got up to introduce me uh, to the church to preach that night. And, and he went on and saying, he goes, he's not one of my preacher boys, okay, because he, he was telling where I'm from. He, he always liked the fact that I uh, uh, I was also a practitioner, so I was bivocational, I was, you know, I was a clinician. He always, he just loved that fact that, that I would be willing to step away from that world and preach. And I, and I appreciate that about him. But he got up and he said, now he's not one of my preacher boys. In his next statement, he said, but I wish he was. I leaned over to Denise. I said, I don't need another compliment the rest of my life. That's had, that, that had to be just an ounce of what, what Gideon felt when God, the creator of all things, said, I'm a mighty man of valor. 
See, there's certain people that can say certain things in your life, and boy, it gives you the confidence that you can just take on the world. You see, guys, the old saying that God's not interested in your ability, rather your availability, faithfulness, confidence. Beloved, it's not your form that matters. It's your faith that allows the victory in your life. Gideon was not the greatest, he was not the largest, but his faith made him the man that God could use to do great things. Just a barley loaf. But it's going to knock over a bunch of tents. And I'm going to tell you this tonight. And I'm going to close it right here. We're going to go on for another week. (laughs) If God can use Gideon, he can use you, he can use me. But we've got to be willing. When you say God can't use... Certain men, God can't use certain ladies. When you, when you say, you know what, God just can't, He just can't use that particular person, guys. You insult God. God won't use a coward. He made it clear. He got rid of 22,000 of them. God's not going to use those that, are, that aren't cautious. He, he's not going to use the ones that are too cautious, sorry, who are not interested in their fellow brethren. He got rid of them, sent them on their way. But God's going to use the ones that are courageous. He's going to use the one that considers those that are around them. That's what he's going to use. And he's going to use the ones that are faithful tonight, guys. Satan brings fear into our life. Fear has torment, the Bible tells us. Satan does these type of things for one particular reason. He wants you to settle back in your heart and your mind and say, well, you know what? God can't use me. I I don't sing as nice as Hannah. God can't use me. I don't know how to quote scriptures like the pastor does. God can't use me. You know, that's a lie from hell, man. God's using Gideon. So you go back to that person in your life, someone somewhere along the way. They made a statement about you that stuck. They made a compliment, whatever it was, but they said something to you. One of those mentors, guys, just like I deal with Dr. Mickey Carter and mine, and then you amplify that by millions, and that's where Gideon was. The poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, the smallest of the small. And God says, thou mighty man of valor. My friend tonight, that's confidence. Unreservedness to stand and speak the truth without fail, but full of faithfulness. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time together. Lord, I pray that you take this message, Lord. I feel that you're done right here tonight. I simply ask you to please take it and write it upon our heart. Lord, we need the confidence in our life. We we take these examples just as the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that time would fail to speak of Gideon. But we have the book. We have the judges. We see what you've done with, with such a small young man. Consider a barley loaf. Looked on by the world and by, by other people, dear Lord. Just looked on as just poor, weak, coarse Let's just say what it is, looked on as being unworthy. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, appears unto him, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, and says, Thou mighty man of valor, Lord, let it stick with us tonight. And let us understand that the very same one that told Gideon, Thou mighty man of valor, is the very same one that told the disciples, Be not afraid in his eyes. The very same one that told us, I am the truth and the life. That no man comes unto the Father but by me. That is our Lord. That is our Savior tonight. And Lord, that should be our confidence to be the warrior that we need to be in the world that you had us to live. We ask these things in Jesus' name tonight. Amen.
Time out. Well, I hope and pray that God was good to you in the preaching and teaching of his word this evening.